0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil cope and today I'm joined by Dave Prentiss, Gav Buckland and Chris Beasley as a the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. Another packed agenda on today's pod, another busy week full of incidents, plenty of goals, and, of course, many, many talking points for us to get through. And, of course, we will preview... Tomorrow's trip to Crystal Palace as Everton looked to maintain their 100 percent start to the season and it's been uh, it's been an excellent start and um, an excellent start that carried on at Fleetwood um, at half time it looked like it was going to be one at a canter didn't quite work out like that but still one with plenty of room to spare um, how impressed were you with 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 the evening uh, that
1: unfolded. For large quantities of the game, I was enormously impressed. I mean, that first half an hour, 40 minutes performance was absolutely top class. Given the number of changes that Carlo had made, given the threat that you know, Fleet would pose. Uh, OK, they're a league one side, let's you know, so not get too carried away but the dominance and the control everton exerted and the quality the way they moved the football was just outstanding i was thoroughly enjoying it until should we say michael keane you know had his dodgy back pass or jordan had his meltdown everyone to give the blame to and it, it just seemed to i don't know undermine it a little and then you know obviously fleetwood made the change in the second half tactically uh, looked a little bit more threatening uh, and so it wasn't quite the, uh, the the cancer that we'd anticipated at one stage but all in all, it was a very, very good performance. Some great goals scored. Did exactly what we hoped they would do in terms of playing with Charleston to allow him to get the goals and get his confidence up. I was a little perturbed to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin starting as well. Not perturbed because he got anything against the lad. I just think he's so important now to everything that Everson do. And having seen him immediately put an ice pack against the back of his leg after he came off against West Brom, you think, should he really be starting? But he did, and he came through absolutely fine. Uh, no, all in all, it was a very, very good night, and it's just great to see two potentially tricky, you know, league so cup ties handled with the minimum of fuss and the maximum of entertainment. It was just great. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Chris, uh, Roy, uh, regular
0: Royal Blue listeners and people who were uh, who always click on our uh, team selector pieces before mm. every match will know your thoughts on on team selections for for cup yeah. games. You you must have been uh, far happier seeing that starting eleven uh, drop at uh, just before seven on Wednesday night.
2: Yeah, very really Carlo made a monkey of me really in the previous round, and I, I called for the the full strength lineup. And then they made ten changes, and one with these. But I did feel it would be um, a lot tougher against Joey Barton and um, Fleetwood uh, away from home as well. I think he got the balance just right, in and. Retrospect. I mean, one of the big things I've always called for is that goalkeepers don't need to be rested for cup games. But I think on this particular occasion, <laughs> um, the man between the sticks, you know, the regular number one was the, you know, the ultimately the, the fall guy there. So yeah, I think he, like you said, uh, playing Richarlison was a good move because it managed to get him off the mark and um, still, um, obviously, less options at, um, at the back. Although Luca Dean was um, marvelous playing out um, out of position again at. at a sense of that yeah i think i think he got that just right and i think that was that was proved with the result like i said it's just um what happened um was the number one there because i mean jordan pickford um it's it, it obviously a, a real tough night for him and you know it was really um it, you know it didn't have to be like that mm.
0: we will uh we will of course come on to uh come on to pickford and, and discuss mm. his form his future in, in detail gav um Prenner was trying to sort of rein his enthusiasm in for <laughs> wednesday night by saying look it's against the league one club but i think it's fair to say that we've not always become accustomed to um navigating such ties and such stages of the league cup in it with such a flourish so we're right to be enthused by the performance are we not
3: well i right to be enthused, that okay it was only like a league one club but it's a premier league club five two four days before mm. so um it's not exactly come out of nowhere that results has it in, in some respects uh i share peno's enthusiasm um me and dave have had the exchange on social media on wednesdays and peno said that fake it's one of your favorite scores dave it's uh, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. Bizarre.
1: i don't know why but just it's not quite anarchy, but it's not quite comfortable. It, it's like somewhere in between. There's yeah. enough dramatic tension to keep you on the edge of your seat, but loads of entertainment. I love five twos. Yes. Going back to my very first in 1976, oh, yeah. when Bob Latford, got to get his name in every now and then, managed to score from outside the penalty area, yeah. which added an even I, extra lustre to it. So. Yeah,
3: I was, what I was going to say is, like, I know saying a 5-2 sometimes give a randomly chaotic view of, of a game, but it wasn't really like that, was it? It was it was a five 0 game or a six 0 game on the balance of uh, balance of play. So I, I am enthused by the performance that we score goals. I think the lineup in the Milk Cup. Milk Cup. now I'm going back there, Danny. <laughs> the, Car- the Carabao <laughs> Cup. I'm only saying Milk Cup because wow. we got the final the Milk Cup, you know. So hopefully we can do the same the Carabao Cup. Mm. I think this. I think having had very little pre season and players needing games to build up the fitness and it's back to back. Three back-to-back games. Then there's a then there's an a international break. is never before. It a fortnight at the start of October. I think it's a short, sharp, shot thing for the, for the team. So you are able to play stronger, stronger starting eleventh than what you would normally do, say at the end of October. And um, so I think that's helped us. I think in terms of you know the performances and the results. But I'm enthused not just on on Wednesday, which I would have been anyway. But in the context that we scored five, the previous game against. West Brom, I think, Show, showing that actually it wasn't a flu. So yeah, I'm well, well pleased. It's great, this isn't it? Not, <laughs> not used to this on podcast.
0: Well, no, it's it's a strange, it's a strange, yes. strange feeling, isn't it? Prenno, but, um Before we go back to, um, and I want I want us to talk about Niels and Kunku and, and and maybe Anthony Gordon and a, and a few other players who really stood out um, on Wednesday. But we've got to talk about Jordan Pickford. Um, Since he was signed by the football club, the football club have played 140 competitive games. He started in 132 of them. What does that say to you? Does that say to you, good, we've got a a stable number one, a clear number one, and he's a good goalkeeper? Or does that say to you that actually there isn't ample pressure being put on him and that's why we get evenings like we did on Wednesday?
1: It says a bit of both there without wanting to sit on the fence totally. Totally. Uh, But for two full seasons, we had a very, very impressive performer in goal who earned his international call-up, who established himself as England's number one goalkeeper and then who justified that inclusion with a series of top-class international performances, including during a World Cup Finals tournament. Um, Since then, there appears to have been concentration issues and lapses. And I know we said last time, um, that is it the absence of a crowd inside the stadium, maybe? I mean, we know how much he plays to the gallery sometimes, certainly when Newcastle United are involved. And, uh, you know, so we hope that maybe a lack of a crowd would allow him to concentrate a little bit more, but it seems to have had the opposite effect. And a couple of issues, you know, this season already. I mean, okay, Spurs, he was excellent. And, you know, mm. part of the reason that we actually won that game, uh, a significant part. But then West Brom, he started sloppily. Now, was it the fact he was defending the Gladys Street and he had the sun in his eyes? It was a dodgy back pass put to him early doors, which he spooned up into the air, which then planted a little bit of a seed into his mind. And there were a number of issues in that game, none of which were particularly significant. But it seems to be something similar again um, on Wednesday night. Uh, a back pass which you could possibly blame Michael Keane. I think Carlo was being a bit kind, to be fair, trying to place uh, the blame collectively, because it wasn't. I thought it was Jordan's fault. Um, but, you know, he was trying to defend his goalkeeper, but that seemed to play on his mind a little bit. And so, you know, the overhead kept coming so soon afterwards, um, it's almost like he was caught in two much, of quite what to do about it because he was aware of the mistake he'd already made. Now, they are psychological issues that I think goalkeepers can overcome and can get the better of. I mean, obviously Neville Southall spoke out this week and he would say that because he is a very, very, you know, voluble defender uh, of Everton goalkeepers. Um, but he doesn't normally just like back players for the sake of it. If he thinks somebody's crappy, he will say so. And he obviously mm-hmm. does believe that Jordan Pickford is a decent goalkeeper. I do myself. I just think he's got a few issues at the moment that he needs to overcome. So I understand why there's a lot of uh, social media calls for him to be turfed out of the football club <laughs> and give Jai Virginia his chance I don't agree with them. I think, you know, he's going through a tricky spell. Uh, the manager has said what you expect the manager to say and got fully behind him um, in the press conference today. And obviously he will play tomorrow and hopefully he'll have a performance like he gave against Tottenham on the opening day. He's not as bad as some, you know, some supporters are making out. But equally, he is going through a bit of a rocky spell. I think we've got to get behind him, really. I've got to keep faith with him. I don't think there's sufficient mistakes at the moment to make us think oh my god we've got to get rid Uh, I don't Mm. think it's like at that stage yet Mm. Chris you've
0: been a long a a long standing um, supporter and backer of Jordan certainly in in previous seasons when he's coming he's coming for criticism do you still do you still have that feeling despite um, you know Wednesday night and and, and certainly we're factoring in the end of last season certainly as well when there was some issues are you still you still behind Jordan as
2: Everton's number one yeah, I actually echo what Dave say, because I don't think the issues are with his ability. As a shot stopper, we all know how good he is. And actually with the ball at his feet, it's how good he is. But we should make that an advantage rather than a disadvantage for Everton. I don't think he's lacking in confidence as such. I think the problem is almost the other way round at times, in that he was too cocky there when he was a bad back pass, but he should have just hit it straight upfield. But because he is confident with the ball at his feet. He thought he could take that extra touch and then that played him into trouble. You know, I, I like the idea that Everton have got Jordan Pickford. They've got this young lad they took from Sunderland, you know, and now England's number one. We've got to keep remem- reminding everyone that Everton have never had that before, a regular England number one. It is a unique position, and with that position comes a lot of extra um, stresses and you're in the spotlight um, a, a lot more. But a, a lot of the problems seem to be of his own making like he said that he he didn't have to do that and like as dave said then because of the mistake for the first one i mean the second one was an honest mistake at least he tried to stop it but I get you can't get away from it you know it was it was an absolute howler so yeah i don't have any sort of fears over his ability as dave said it's just something is obviously playing on him mentally in whatever respect whether you call that concentration whether it lapses or whatever um yeah it's 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 hurting him at the moment and it is strange but It's coming like we said in those empty stadiums because in the past it'd been the problem, as we've been mentioned there at Newcastle United, where you know it was a wild performance, he got away with it a lot of the time. But, um, yeah, where he was playing to the gallery, you'd think here in the empty stadiums it it would be better. But, and I mean, it, it it is concerning, there's no doubt about that, because it made what should have been a walkover. At least it did happen in a Carabao Cup game, which was easily won, so at least as that thing, it didn't happen know, in a tight Merseyside derby this time. But yeah, I mean, it, it is a concern, but yeah, I, I, I think that um, I would certainly still back him uh, overall and hopefully he can he can uh, iron out those mistakes.
0: Gav, Carlo, um, uh, earlier this afternoon was asked pretty directly at a press conference in uh, front of the cameras, um do you want to sign a, a new goalkeeper before the deadline? We are not looking for this, uh, and went on to say Jordan is a fantastic goalkeeper and that he has his full backing. Um, I suppose many of us w- did not expect him to say anything different. Um, that's what he said in public. Do you think he's saying the same in private?
3: Uh, I I suggest he probably is. Um, I, I think one of the things Jordan's got in, in two things in his favour is um, one, you know, that we need to get other players rather than bring players in. And the second thing, if you do want to bring players in, the goalkeeper's not necessarily the priority. There's other positions that brought us up at the press conference today that we may, may talk about. So, yeah, you know, he's not the, the biggest problem in the team to, to overcome. So, I would suggest that Carlo is probably saying the same. Well, I would hope he's saying the same things in private because the share what Dyson and, and Plano were saying. Um, I think for me, Pickford's, it, it is a concentration thing for me. I get the impression that the more busy he is, the better goalkeeper he is. Hmm. It, it's yes, probably it's probably no coincidence that his two best seasons as a keeper was 16-17 at Sunderland and 17-80 hmm. at Everton when we tanked for most of the season and he was our player of the year. Uh, I think the busier the game and the more you know the, the more he's got to concentrate. I think he's a far better goalkeeper. I think also, as well, linked with that, is he probably takes a bit of time to get into games. I don't think he comes out of the, the dressing room fully fired up and focused. I think it maybe t- takes a bit of time to get into things. I mean, those two goals on on uh, during the week were straight after half-time, Um virtually. The the, the West Brom games at the start of the game, wasn't it? You know, where he messed up the back pass. Just wondering whether he needs time then to get into a game, but I think that it's maintaining that concentration. If the game slack like it was on during the week, then I think that's when sometimes he's at his most vulnerable, you know. I think think he'd be, he looks a far better goalkeeper when he's facing 10, 15, 20 shots a game.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I know you say. It's almost like you're saying that certainly on Wednesday night when he was not involved at all, you know, uh, Fleetwood had no attempts on target, etc. It's almost like he goes looking for trouble and finds it, isn't it? A little
3: bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I've got a few opportunities to show, show how good I am. So I'll tell you what, I'll start thinking of Franco Berizzi on our penalty, yeah. you know, on our, on our goal line. Mm. And, and I do think, you know, if Everton, can, in a strange way, Everton haven't done anything favours this season by like being so good up top and having like 80-odd shots on target. The one good game he's had, or like out of the three, is at Spurs, isn't it? When we're probably a little bit more under the cotch a bit uh, and they're going to pressure us. That's his type of game. And, and I do think the busier he is, the better the keeper he is. The slacker the game, the more vulnerable he is, because I just think it's a concentration issue. I, I, I don't know... I mean, we know what he's like and, you know, you've only got to see him sometimes the way he acts. I wonder what goes through his mind when the ball's at the other end of the pitch for 80% of the time. You know, and, and, that, and that's what the great goalies do, don't they? Uh, the great goalies might have nothing to do for 89 minutes, but that one minute when they're called into action, they're still top quality and Jordan isn't sometimes. And, and that's, that's what he's got to learn, I suspect. And then, then there would be no problems for me. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, let's move on to um, other pe- other players from Wednesday night and, and at the other end of the uh, of the rating spectrum. Um, Prenner, who was who was your man of the match, and, and tell us why they impressed you on Wednesday.
1: Um, it's got to be the left back and Konku. He just—I I was waiting for his uh, statistical analysis of performance to drop, and I was a little bit dismayed when I saw you know uh, the number of crosses that he put. I think there was. Six attempted crosses, two successful crosses. Like two successful. What constitutes a successful cross? To me, delivering a ball into the danger area is a successful cross. And I suspect that because the strikers, for whatever reason, weren't switched on enough to get on the end of them, uh, that you know meant that his his figures you know dropped a little bit. Um, and why they were deemed as like unsuccessful crosses, but I just think generally his performance was like so refreshing and so exciting. And you know, I totally accept that we haven't seen him in a defensive situation yet, called upon uh, to show his defensive, you know, resolution and discipline. And obviously, in the Premier League, he would be, you know, asked to do that. Uh, He's been allowed to get forward uh, with free reign, but he's done that so so effectively. Uh, He's direct, uh, he only has you know, an idea in his head to get into space and get the ball in with as much quality as possible, which he did regularly over and over again on Wednesday night. But then equally, that that assist for the final (laughs) goal... You missed it at first, you thought, has he really done that? Then you see it again and, and see, you know, re- replay and you think, oh my word, that's just like such invention and such technique. Uh, so just wonderful performance all the way through. But I've got to say Bernard as well played really, really well in a central role. And so I was equally impressed with him. And it sounds like you, know, you can go through the whole team. Anthony Gordon came on and made a really massive impact as well straight away. So again, we can go through an Everton performance and highlight a number of you know positive uh, performances from start to finish. Which is great, but for me, yeah, Nkanku was the guy that like really stood out, and that's not even mentioning the guy that scored two goals, rich so. <laughs> We just we
0: just become accustomed to it, to him performing yeah. well, though, haven't
1: we, uh, Chris? Um, I, I was I
0: thought we would, the conversation would come on to Unconque. Um, You know, two games now. It's early days, of course, and, and and it's been two games against football league opposition. But are you are you are you liking what you see so far? Do do you do you? Um, the closer we get to deadline, are you more and more comfortable with the idea that, that Niels will be effectively the backup to Luca Dean this season?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been a real fine to be fair. Um, we were all hoping that uh, Leighton Baines would sign on for, an, for another year. And uh, obviously, uh, one of the club's greatest servants, one of the, arguably one of the club's greatest ever left-backs, decided to call it a day. It's a shame that it came at a time when there were no fans in the stadium. But obviously, he thought the time was right. And all of a sudden, Everton were looking for an understudy to Luca Dean. I mean, you've got to hope at least Dean's injury record means that he does tend to play most of the time. So whoever was his understudy, and I think that was probably part of the frustration for, for Leighton Bain those last couple of years, was he wasn't getting um, much game time when he did ke- come in. He was always, you know, solid as ever and slotted in seamlessly like he'd never been away. But, you know, when you're only making a handful of appearances, he um, probably hastens his decision to to hang up his boots. But yeah, um, as considering that um, he'd not, you would not know, played senior football at Olympic Marseille, I think it's it's a real fine for the club. And um, we've, we've seen across the park how much they've had to, you know, splash out, um, you know, an understudy le- left back, basically. So, yeah, I mean, it saved the club a, a lot of money there. And obviously, they've spent a lot of money on areas um, where they've not had to in, in recent years or on for signs who flat to deceive. So to pick up a bargain like this and uh, you know, a young prospect who can hopefully only get better, you know, yeah well for the future and I'd certainly at the moment say that yeah I'd, I'd be comfortable with having him as a second choice left back. Gav, um,
0: Preno touched on Anthony Gordon I don't know whether it was just my vantage point from, from the ground you know football league ground you're much closer to the pitch and he, and when he came on in the second half you basically played right in front of me for most of it other than the when he, he, he switched sides briefly but, but Anthony Gordon for me was was absolutely superb in, the, in his 45 minutes on the pitch and for anybody, young or old, who needed an example of how to sort of go about taking your opportunity and, and doing everything you can to show the manager that you, 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 you're worth a shot, he he did that. What does Anthony Gordon have to do? And it's not even to get to get into the starting eleven anymore. What does he have to do to be in the squad for Palace because he's been omitted for the games with yeah. Spurs and West Brom?
3: Um carry on the same as, as time will come with, you know, carry on with the same attitude on and off the pitch. I think Carlo said he might be an impressed where he challenged them, uh, And I think just do what he's doing at the moment and work hard on the training pitch. The one, one thing I noticed a little bit um, on Wednesday is, is, is he a little bit too desperate to get a goal at the moment, perhaps? Um, I think, I think, um, I I mean he gets a goal, he could go up go through strange things to players don't he? Go up even more, even higher. Well not not a lot more, I think, than what he's doing at the moment. He, he's, he's making the best of what limited game time he's having. So things just work hard, show the right attitude, learn off players like James Rodriguez, see how they handle themselves, I'm sure there'll be a bit of that. And there's not a lot more he can he can do. Um Phil, to be fair, just one thing on Niels and Kunku is, mm. I'm wondering whether his future is at left back. I'd like to see him. I think if he turns up, like he's, he's good defensively. He's, he's six foot, isn't he?
0: I think so. Something yeah,
3: something like that. He's six foot. He's not not twenty yet, so he's gonna fill out a little bit more, and he's probably get you know he's going to be a little bit nasty bulk up a little bit over the next couple of years. Just wondering if he can defend because he's obviously good on the ball whether he might move into centre half or even into into centre midfield centre midfield there are those who say could play left wing you know where to, where yeah. Gareth Bale started as a left back didn't he um i'm just wondering whether it, whether he'll be, naturally be too bulky for left for, le- for being left back you don't often see you know, i know Brighton have got a haven't of me don't often see six foot one you know physically robust ball backs there yeah i'm just wondering whether his future if he can't i mean it's, it's only had two games. to be fair yeah. <laughs> i'm just wondering he boat, the way but the ball as he balks out over the next couple of years and he is those develop whether his future is actually in a different different parts of the pits
0: mm. but compliments too, though because obviously gav you're already, you're already uh, playing him in the midfield too and I, I, 20, I think
3: i think I, I think him and Alan next year. I think is it like you know, <laughs> no, is play. I think what I'm saying is here is players start full-back, but then physically develop so they're not necessarily suited to being playing fullback anymore, and because of their skills, they, they move elsewhere on the pitch. And of course,
0: um, who grows, grows up wanting to be Gary Neville as, uh, yeah, is yeah, Jamie exactly. says so,
3: yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, yeah, I think Jamie Jamie Sachs, he starts a bit of midfield. He played fullback didn't he when he first with Liverpool? So then he went into centre-half. So I think um, Niels would be like doing Monday Night Football then in 20 years' time, yeah. <laughs> I feel I, I like yeah. I do like the thought of him that if he does develop, that we may see him move elsewhere and, you know, on the pitch. The
0: Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just a quick one, because whenever we pod, you you do kind of have uh, strong opinions about Moyes Key. Something that just sort of occurred to me um, yesterday, he scored twice this season, both in the League Cup, once against Salford, once against Fleetwood, and hasn't looked overly happy when he scored. There was no celebration. He scored the goals and just kind of, yeah, yeah, hugged his teammate, trotted back to the centre circle. Am I reading too much into this? Have we got an unhappy...
1: No, not at all. It was it was com- commented upon in our household, not by myself, but by uh, other people watching the uh, the game. So why doesn't he look pleased? And you know, there's two ways of interpreting it. I suppose uh, the fact that he hasn't started the match, um, and you know, he's, he's making a point to um, to the manager. I'm thinking back quite some time now to when Ed uh, Duncan Ferguson was once dropped by Joe Royal, and uh, came on against Sunderland and um scored an equalizer we got b3-1 in the end uh but duncan's reaction uh was pointed shall we say and uh and joe afterwards was was laughing about it he says yeah uh center forward was quite pleased to make a point to me wasn't he And uh, he was quite pleased about it now whether carlo ancelotti will be you know relishing the same kind of attitude um you know a, a player that clearly is unhappy not to be starting games i mean i've said before he's not for me he's not done enough to show that he deserves to start a game at the moment uh, he's took his two goals very well uh, but he's equally you know some missed other chances and he's not really made things happen doesn't hold the ball up well enough for me. He he looks a bit like uh, an erratic loose cannon at times. But clearly there is some talent there that, you know, the club are prepared to build uh, and indulge him. But I think it just might help him a little bit if he did look a little bit happier. You know, if he did send a message out, you know, to the fans that were watching to say, look, I'm enjoying life here. You know, OK, I want to be playing more. But, you know, equally when I'm scoring goals, I'm pleased about it. You know, there's nothing better than seeing somebody's beautiful shining visage you know, smiling you know when they've scored a goal Andy Gray was a master of it whenever he scored a goal or whenever anybody else scored a goal nobody else was happier than him and as a result you love those players because they share the same enthusiasm that you've got for the football team and when a player doesn't show that it looks like he's sulking a little bit and I don't think it you know so does him any good in the eyes of the supporters. Maybe I'm reading far too much into it, I don't know. But yeah, I don't think it does him any favours to be seen, to be looking a little petulant, shall I say, uh, you know, when he's done the difficult thing and scored a goal. Mm. It's two and two for him, so uh, hopefully that that run of scoring continues
0: because, Chris, uh, in his press Mm -hmm. conference, Carlo Ancelotti believes that Any striker playing behind James Rodriguez plus the other (laughs) midfield options Everton have got should be getting at least 20 goals this season. And if they don't, then basically Carlo's going to have a problem with them. So uh, he's saying that Carvalho and Richarlison as the main front front players should be getting at least 20. And he also chucked Moyes Keane in there saying, well, he's got two already. There's no reason why (laughs) he shouldn't get 20. Um, If if, if Everton's three strikers end up with 60 goals this season, then I think we're we're all going to be very happy come the end of May. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it it's it's it, it's good to hear isn't it for once rather than managers playing down expectations um, um playing up giving them a, a target to aim for something and you know uh, um difficult to to try and achieve but yeah you got you got to aim for the top Carlos' has been at the top all his managerial life like we were mentioning last weekend the West Brom game uh um, he's trying to get a bit of a people in zaggy out of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and yeah, he he really has come on loops and bounds. We think about what um Dominic Calvin Lewin was like a year or so ago. We're all saying what you know what a good lad he is. We've known that from the start, but what a good all-round striker he's got. The only thing he's missing is that real killer instinct, that um sort of um, fox in the box mentality. And he, to be fair you know, as a fully grown man, as, 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 as you know, he's, he's not, you know, a, a teenager starting out now. He's sort of developed that over the past few months. And I think that's the hardest thing to teach a striker. If you've not got that natural-born instinct, the sort of things, uh, you know, a Gary Lineker or Jimmy Greaves sort of uh, finishes to sort of learn that on the job as it was under Carlo Ancelotti. That's, that's terrific. So, yeah, he's certainly shown that he can get the best out of his um, strikers there and sort of given them those, those sort of almost tough targets to meet um hopefully it will bring the best out of them
0: any uh, any kids listening ask your grandparents about jimmy greaves and who he is we like we we're not afraid of historical references on this pod but jimmy greaves is a good one be that's uh, that's one for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. the youngsters yeah. then <laughs> um, gavin but in, in in terms of dominic and, and chris makes a good point because it feels to me like he, he he. there's so much faith has been put in him as Everton's number nine that the team and the and the formation has changed which means he no longer has to make those unselfish runs he no longer has to run the yeah. channels and plow that lone furrow and there's a belief that actually dominic we believe that you're good enough just to be a, a straightforward number nine you'll score goals every week
3: yeah i i thought carlos comments about Dominic in the press conference were fascinating actually about somebody asked him about like his development and he said like it's essentially said his development work's already being done that mm. what he needs now is consistency so he didn't maybe say oh we need technically he needs to do this that and the other he's saying he, he it sounds if like he's already feeling that he's obviously there's always rough edges to smooth but that he's, he's pretty much doing what he wants him to do I won't say finished article but you know what i'm saying and and i think carlo, carlo that was quite a fascinating but You obviously rates him very highly i mean the, the truth a couple of things i'm say about dcl is is I, I mean i think you've got to have a natural attitude I mean, finishing you can teach, teach people you've got to have natalie to do it and naturally be able to do it and the other thing is is how hard he's worked i mean every i mean since he fit he first his first game was the game under Koeman, wasn't it, against Arsenal, in the 2-1 game, which is nearly four yes. years ago. And I think, wow. well, how many, I don't know how many managers we've had in that time, five, isn't it? And every manager has always picked him. And what well, has always managed me, did, didn't he pick? he's basically been picking at every game. It says a lot for how highly managers rate him and how hard he's worked, and he's just getting the, um, I think he's getting the rewards for that. Um, Having said that, you still got, you know, missed what Carlo's probably alluding to. didn't score the last nine games of last season, did he? And looked by off the pace. So, you know, he wants him in Now he hasn't got another nine-game mm. goalless uh, sequence in, in front of him. Um, and, and I like the 20 goals a season uh, thing from Carlo. I like the way as well he said to, uh, he said to him, he said when Ronaldo played in front in yeah. front of <laughs> guys he scored 56 goals <laughs> but don't worry i'm not asking you to score 56 so you think you think you know i'm being pretty fair by just asking you to score 20 fifty six. Yeah. and i thought i thought that was quite a nice nice uh, nice line
0: so, uh, what, uh, yeah i agree gavin actually what i also made me think when i heard carlos say that earlier this afternoon i was thinking that sounds to me like the start of his pitch to farhad probably back in march when he said farhads we need to go and sign james rodriguez ronaldo scored 56 goals when he kind of, <laughs> yeah You can just imagine that being part of the conversation can't yeah you, yeah so. and, and,
3: yeah and then and then get yeah. can we have ronaldo as well please Farhad, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, i think it was i thought it was i thought it was some incessant comments there i know i know you're saying it in a jocular way i think about about his strikers, but it was interesting specific comments about carver lewin but incessant to see what he said he said Charleston Carverlew and the 120 goals. And then he, he remembered Moise Keane, didn't he? Oh, mm. Moise Keane has and then he made Moise scored his last two last two games. So, uh, I thought that was an entertaining and enlightening, uh, little bit of the press conference. That absolutely
1: It, it underlines basically the mood around the place at the moment. He was in very, very good form. Didn't he yeah. even throw in as well that, um, if I was playing, you know, in front of those two, I would score goals. And, yeah. You know, whoever was asking the questions obviously started laughing, and he was like, "Why are you smiling? It's true." Yeah. I've just looked at his goals record. He got one in twenty-six internationals for Italy, and he got ten in one hundred and twelve for Milan. So maybe he was just <laughs> a little tongue in cheek in that press conference. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But it's, yeah.
3: It's, he had Marco van Basten <laughs> playing in <his laughs> front Milan, though. Uh, know, yeah, so you
1: know. yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. it did underline there's a real mood of you know bubbly optimism. and You can imagine that's transmitted in the dressing room as well. Everybody's obviously yeah. in a good place at the moment. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, yeah, and that optimism, Chris goes down to Selhurst Park with us uh, tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. We expect he'll make changes again, uh, bringing in the cavalry. Alan was obviously given the opportunity to go back to Naples this week, wasn't he? Hammers, Rodriguez okay. come back in. Mina, uh, Decore, etc., etc. Um,
2: but with every right to be confident, though, haven't we? Top of the table clash, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have yeah. thought it? Yeah, battling up for the Champions League places with a uh, Roy Hodgson's mob. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, it, 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 I remember. Obviously, we, we mentioned it the other week about you know getting the points on uh, early doors and getting off to a good um, start in the season and the team of 405 and uh, they went down to Palace, didn't they? Famously on the, the opening day of the, the entire season, there uh, was all the doom and gloom after. Wayne Rooney was on his way out. Um, they just finished the previous season on thirty-nine points, and they went down to Palace and uh, got that famous I think it was three-one victory—to set them up. So a, a repeat of that would be um, be nice. Um, also, again with the the lack of fans, I think that could uh, play a, a big um, factor going down to Crystal Palace, um, one of the most vociferous um, fan bases in in London. And you say what you like about Palace, you know their fans are always get right behind them and. Uh, yeah, a, of course got every um, right to go in there, optimistic, but to be fair, then um, Palace will probably be thinking the same way themselves. Absolutely. Gav, you obviously have uh,
0: dropped some uh, some stats and some facts ahead of the game into my uh, inbox. Far more yeah. optimistic than the Spurs ones a few weeks ago, but of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you did bring back the memories of the fact that I've sat through and endured back-to-back nil-nils at Selhurst. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, will we avoid yeah. another one?
3: I, I also remember, Phil, I think it was the game that Coleman scored, he did some video for the Echo afterwards and look possibly the coldest person I've ever seen in history <laughs> yeah, at uh, a yeah. Sellers Park, yeah. January yeah. 2017. Was it? No,
0: God, there, was, there was a gale ripping through the ground at just that yeah. moment as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think Palace has started as well. Get the impression of Palace, he's rather playing there than at than home, wouldn't you? I think their strengths, as you seen in Man United last week, and I've seen in Man United the year before. And is the, they're a far better team when uh but the and and this is a Hodgson trait, hasn't it, all his all his managerial career. He's more of a counter puncher, isn't he, as a, as a manager rather than somebody who's on the front foot uh throughout the game. And I think with Palace that you know the players they've got obviously, you know, you know, we know who they are, they can uh, he can hurt you, but I think you can hurt you more on your own ground than down there. And so it would be interesting to see how we set up tomorrow in terms of you know especially when we've got you know i say rodriguez and we've got our front three weather might just play a little bit tighter having said that why, why play tight we've scored government I is it 14 goals is it 14 yeah. goals in four games confidence is flying you know impose your they might be looking at us now tomorrow and thinking they've scored 10 goals in a week i've only had half a team in one of them i'd be <laughs> against yeah you know this is going to be a tough game for us uh, so maybe i'm a bit too negative i'd rather play we still rather playing down there though but we have got the players and the and the belief and confidence at the moment to uh, to win i haven't said that four of the last seven games as i told you phil down there have been goalless so we'll be talking on monday <laughs> be five hours of eight won't it you know <laughs> um
0: Prenno, at this stage last season or in the corresponding fixture last season um i was heading down to uh, to south london the night before the game and and we just Managers to just sit back and finally be done with the Wilfred zahar talk the, the deadline had been and gone bids no bids a crazy a crazy period 12 months on his name continues to be albeit yeah. tentatively linked um I just wondered your thoughts on whether it's a player that we've missed out on or have we uh, have we sort of not done done well not to get him if you know what I mean but are, are we are we
1: okay um, are we are we still fine that, that zaha did not I, I, that. I think we've dodged a bit of a bullet, personally. I mean, he's a talented lad, no doubt whatsoever about that, uh, on his day, you know. But his days tend to come along every four or five weeks, then he'll go missing for two or three weeks. And that was on the land where he had his shot at the big time, you know, when he got his move to Man United, and uh, it never really worked out for him. And he's always seems to have been there or there about since, because people see these performances on Match of the Day when, you know, he takes teams to the cleaners. But then, you know, he doesn't do it consistently enough whether that would change if he moved to a, a different club, I don't know. But is he 28 now as well? I mean, I know we've just signed a 29-year-old in, in you know, Hamis Rodriguez, but um, he's an absolutely stellar talent. Whereas Zaha, at his age, is still in that bracket potential, you know, somebody that could become a very, very good player. And so, given the, the transfer fee that Palace would have wanted for him, no, I think we're better off, you know, so much better off looking elsewhere. Um, he's going to be a threat tomorrow, no doubt no, about it, uh, but, but I just think that this could be a very different game to what we normally see at Sellers Park. When I, mean, I was looking at the the, yeah, the games recently and it is, at Goodison, we normally do okay. Last three seasons, we won by a couple of goals, 3-1, 2-0, 3-1. But down there, like you say, it's normally a grim war of attrition. The last seven, 0-0, 0-0, 2-2. That was a bit of an aberration. 1-0, 0-0, 1-0, 0-0. But that was then. You know, you're looking at it now and Palace have started the season really well. You know, they've managed to score early goals, which they haven't done for a couple of seasons, uh, over two and a half goals in a couple of games for the first time in a while. And yet our output is just, it's just transformed phenomenally. You know, we're having a ridiculous number of shots in a game now. Um, I think Hammers himself was responsible for eight efforts on goal um And you know, in his, his first couple of games, you know, he's actually making things happen in and around the penalty area. Not just himself, he's opening things up for other players as well. Uh, so we're looking like a much better balanced team. And I thought after that Spurs performance that we probably are a team better suited for playing away from home, controlling the game, allowing you know, sort of teams to come onto us, and then hitting them. You know, so sort of Hammers finding the spaces, Andre Gomez finding the spaces in between the lines. I mean, it's a very, very Small sample size so far. We've only played two Premier League games. uh, But you know, so you you can't really draw any kind of conclusions. But I just thought in that game, we look quite well set up here to be going away from home and and punishing teams. We'll find out because you know, Palace normally are decent on their own patch. And I think a lot of that, as Chris says, is down to the support base, which they haven't got at the moment. So you know, there's no reason why we should be concerned. I thought they were dead lucky against Southampton on the opening day. I know they won, but Southampton were okay that day probably deserve something from the game the United Palace game was a, a strange one full stop uh, and again you know VAR a, few, a couple of dubious decisions went when against United so I don't know nothing to be feared for I, I think we can go down there and do okay but it's still very early in the season we don't know for sure but there's a sense of confidence now about Everton we're beginning to trust them don't want to get too carried away but we're starting <laughs> to trust them <laughs> indeed
0: and of course uh, Pranella as you said Hammer's pulling the strings and not even not even getting out of
1: second gear. No sprints against West Brom, and he played so well. <laughs> he doesn't need to sprint when you're that good a footballer. You see the game in front of you; it's in your head. You know, so you can spot the uh, the openings. It'd be like having to sprint and go past players. Uh, it's just he's, he's playing the style of game. You know, his qualities uh, are built for. You know, some players like Richarlison have got the skill set to go past you know players. Rodriguez doesn't need to do that uh it, it, it's looking like a nice balance to be perfectly honest mm, absolutely
0: okay uh customary predictions time then before we wrap up today's pod uh chris i'll start with you crystal palace versus everton tomorrow at has Park, three o'clock uh what's your prediction
2: yeah i'd like to think everton go back to keeping a clean sheet but i'm not so sure so i'm going to say one all One all. okay okay
0: mm. Gav. <laughs> Gav, what do you think? i mean do you think i was, I like?
3: was... I've been delighted uh, the fact we won our last two games, 5-2, on the basis that keeps me in the prediction league, because unless somebody was (laughs) smoking something, they shouldn't have been a doubtless. Somebody who put 5-2's prediction.
0: I must say, though, Gav, sam carroll's um prediction of 6-1 i just assumed would be put on the slapped on the fleetwood uh, town changing room door by joy barton as, as, as <laughs> yeah. motivation. But, it,
1: but
3: it almost came it almost in, so. came <laughs> off yeah after 40 minutes of the thought yeah. could be uh, yeah yeah i didn't know that actually phil so i'll uh yeah save me a bit of hassle on a uh, wednesday yeah I, I i i think contrary to the goalless draws i think we've got enough to win. You said three one two one 2004-5. A game, which Preno can remember, it was described as the earliest six, relegation six-pointer okay. <laughs> in League history. We're <laughs> it still in the middle of yeah. August, you know. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm going to go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go through, I'm going to go 3-1 Everton. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm confident with my predictions on Everton at the moment.
1: Preno? Well, anybody that picks up tonight's echo will see the pundit predictions <laughs> that myself and Tom Phillips do, and we'll see that I've gone for a 2-0 Everton away win. Mm. But I have to make those predictions quite a way in advance, and that was certainly done before the Fleetwood game. <laughs> Not so sure now about the clean sheet. Uh, I'm confident in Everton going down there and winning, uh, but I don't know. I mean, Yerry yeah, Mina looked a little bit shaky against West Brom. Obviously, Jordan, we've you know talked about his performances. So i'm going to go for a 3-1 as well just the number of shots that we're having on targets at the moment and the number of opportunities we're creating we're capable of scoring three whether we're capable of keeping a clean sheet so of shorts i'm going to go for three one plus the fact gavin's top of the league he's got the midas touch so whatever gavin says just copy so like, yeah, that's right.
3: that should be a rule of the podcast anyway i know, you know but uh now i think and, oh by the way points of order I can you know Pernod makes two predictions one for the echo, one for the podcast. I think we should always keep them to the echo one. Well,
2: I can't
1: have a rethink. I think that's unfair. Football changes. It only takes a minute to score a goal. Score a goal, yeah. When players get injured. You know, it's a yeah. it's a very very fluid thing. Football.
2: is bent, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah no, no, 3-1 one, three one.
1: I'm sticking with. Uh, I'm obviously, the finish is two nil. I've shot myself in the foot. So, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I I think it'll be two nil. I think uh, I think we'll keep Palace out and. Uh, Score uh score score early and score late just to uh just to finish it off. But uh, well a <laughs> co- couple up. of draws. I think, I think Sam's gone for a draw. We need to get Adam's uh, prediction in there as well at some point. But uh, yeah, that's we will wrap up, chaps. Thank you very much for your company. As always, good stuff, plenty of stuff. We've got our teeth stuck into there, Pickford and Cancun and Golden and various other things. So really good podcast. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast.